welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I am your host, Rob Carraher, and we are back for another episode of the Real Marathon Podcast. The new tunes that you heard at the beginning of our show and that you will be hearing throughout the remainder of the show are written by Mike Carraher, my brother. Um, and I, I'm just excited that we have something original that has been created specifically for our show. So we can thank Mike for uh, providing those tunes for us. All right, today's show is going to be focused on documentaries. I know that the average moviegoer isn't as big of a documentary fan as myself, but... I still think they are an important uh, contribution to the film world, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about them. Uh, I I probably see more documentaries than the average moviegoer, but um, I think that if we bring greater attention to the documentary film, then we we may get these documentaries to much larger audiences. So maybe one of the reasons that I really love documentaries is because it sort of marries my love of film with uh, my my love of politics and uh, human interest stories and just in general learning. I love to learn and uh, documentaries are one of the best ways to do that. Um, the thing about documentaries are that they they cover such a wide range of subjects. And so for every film viewer, there is something out there for all of you. And in a way, that if a documentary is really, really great, I think sometimes they tell the most compelling stories. They talk about the most compelling things that a dramatic film may not even be able to capture. Uh, they, we talk about the phrase stranger than fiction. That, that can be the case a lot of times in some of these documentaries. You watch, watch one of these films and you think there's no way, no way that this is real. But the more that you, you dig into it, uh, it's very real. And that's what's so incredible about uh, the, the world of documentary filmmaking. There are so many stories, so many issues, so many subjects out there that we just don't know that much about. And when somebody takes the time to dig in and really get into that subject matter, we discover some pretty incredible things. So that is kind of my pitch for why people should see more documentaries. So today... We're going to do a review of the film Collective, which is a Romanian documentary. And so I'll get a little bit more into that later. And then our top five lists for today are a countdown of the best five documentaries that I saw from the year 2020. So that's something to look forward to. And I hope that you find something today that you may want to watch and you go out and watch that. All right, we'll be back right after this. It was a huge week for news as we are now kind of in the thick of it when it comes to award season. Uh, Generally, we have everything that's smashed together a little bit more, but uh, because of the weird year and the extended window to qualify for a lot of these awards, we're getting uh, a elongated award season. But it seems like a huge portion of the different guilds and critic circles and stuff like that are releasing their awards about now, all right? So we're getting a ton of information right now. Who knows if, if 
that is going to have any bearing on what happens on Oscar night, since we are still about three months away, which that typically would not be the case. But here we are. It's going to be a weird year, and what happens this year uh, may not reflect uh, how it's going to be in future years, but you never know. We're going to see. We're going to see how this plays out. So uh, the first thing that I want to talk about is the National Board of Review. Every year, they are one of the big-time critics, uh, associations, or groups that release a winner for Best Picture of the Year, but then they also release a top 10. And even though the winner generally does not go on to win Best Picture, they give us kind of an idea of what films may be considered for Best Picture at the, the Oscars. So this year, they chose The Five Bloods, the Spike Lee film, uh, which can be seen on Netflix as their best picture of the year. But then they also released a list of 10 movies that they thought were the best um, for 2020. And those films were First Cow, The 40-Year-Old Version, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Midnight Sky, Minari, News of the World, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Soul, and Sound of Metal. So a couple notes there. Uh, First of all, the fact that The Midnight Sky made it onto that list. I haven't seen the film yet, but it seems to be getting trashed by nearly every critic circle um, out there. If you read reviews on it, supposedly it's not very good. Uh, So I don't know if I'm even going to watch it. Um, but uh, if I do, uh, I'm going to be interested to see why uh, the National Board of Review would have put it in their top 10. They left off uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which seems to be uh, a favorite to get nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, so that's a a little bit uh, strange. Um, But otherwise, most of the other films on there have been getting praised throughout the season, and so not a lot of surprises. Uh, The second group that announced their top 10 best films, not in any order, um, actually I think that they they release it, well, it it doesn't even look like they are releasing it in alphabetical order here, Um, but they, is the American Film Institute, or AFI, Uh, and this always gives us a little bit of an indication also what films may be considered for Best Picture Prize. And their top 10 are The Five Bloods, Judas and the Black Messiah, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Soul, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. So one film that got left off there that had been getting a lot of praise is Promising Young Woman. So that kind of seems to have put a stop to uh, the progress that that film had been making and um, maybe keeping it a little bit in in that that uh, category of maybe it will get nominated, maybe it will not. Um, but it is interesting to see that they, they did not include the film on their top 10 list. Uh, otherwise, once again, the films that are included on there seem to be all in play and uh, there aren't a ton of surprises. Um, This next award is the Film Independent Spirit Awards. They didn't announce their winners yet, but they did announce their nominations. And the reason that I am talking about this is because uh, this award ceremony is part of the reason that I am doing this podcast. So... Every year, a number of the best films do not get recognized at the Oscars. And it's mostly because they do not have the financial support to be able to uh, put together a campaign to be competitive. And so I wanted to create this podcast to not only talk about the Oscar race and the best films that are being uh talked about for Oscars, but also to shed some light on some of the more independent films that 
don't get as much love during award season just because they, they can't afford to, to run that sort of campaign. And so I figured that the Film Independent Spirit Awards does the best job out of any other award ceremony at really highlighting those films that uh, should be in play for Oscars, but maybe aren't because they, they don't have that financial support. So uh, the nominations came out this week, and the five movies that they nominated are First Cow, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Minari, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, and Nomadland. So something that, uh, there's a few things that I noticed from this list. Number one is that there's a lot of crossover between the films being talked about for Best Picture at the Oscars and those on this list. I believe this is going to be a rare year because so many of the big players decided to sit out this year and wait until the 2021 um release year to to compete because of the way that theaters were shut down. So we are going to get a little bit more of the independent films that went straight to on-demand or on the streaming services in order uh, to really compete for the Oscars. And so we're seeing uh, a lot more overlap here, um, which is great. I think that's awesome that the Oscars are finally going to start uh, acknowledging some of these films that would get left out in previous years. And I'm hoping that this changes the trend a little bit. Um, in the end, the Oscars is not really uh, a ceremony meant for the average moviegoer, which is why it doesn't necessarily, that people complain about it all the time, but I, I enjoy it because it is trying to award the best films. And I think that if we can get more of these independent films in, um, that are really creative and unique visions, then we are going to uh, be awarding better films each and every year. And I think they're trying to do a little bit more of that um, as, they, as they continue to evolve. So the other thing about the Film Independent Spirit Awards that surprised me was that Promising Young Woman was not on this list. Um, <clears throat> Carrie Mulligan did get nominated for a acting award for it, the Film Independent Spirit Awards, but the film did not, um, which once added in with uh, the AFI top 10. Makes me wonder if uh, Promising Young Woman is hitting a wall. Uh, with that said, as of right now, it has won the second most uh, award season awards for Best Picture after Nomadland. So something to keep an eye on. All right, getting into a few of the other film uh, critics societies and circles and associations, uh, the Online Film Critics Society, which uh, I am going to be attempting to try to become a part of over the next couple of years, uh, they picked Nomadland as their best picture. Uh, the New York Film Critics Online, they picked Minari, the North Texas Film Critics Association also picked Nomadland. And the New Mexico Film Critics, they picked Mank as their best picture. Um, so, obviously, Nomadland is still uh, moving forward, and they seem to be right on track to be the favorite to be best picture at the Oscars in April. Once again, there's a lot of time between now and then, but they, they are moving forward. Um, something that I noticed this week is that Minari has started to pick up a little bit of steam. I feel more confident than ever that that film will get nominated for Best Picture. I would be very surprised if it ended up winning. Um, once again, I haven't seen the, uh, the film yet, but uh, it, it definitely has started to solidify itself as a major player. All right, final thing about uh, news and what we can look forward to next week. On top of all of our Sundance uh, excitement, next week we are also getting nominations for the Golden Globes, which don't really have any overlap in terms of uh, those who are 
deciding what happens with the Academy Awards, but for some reason, um, it, it plays into our predictions for what we think might happen at the Academy Awards. So we're getting those nominations next week. And we are also getting the Screen Actors Guild nominations, which actually will have some bearing because the uh, acting uh, unit or the, those actors make up the largest branch of the Academy. And so their choice for Screen Actors Guild probably is going to have a strong uh, influence on what we see come Oscar time. It usually does. There are a few differences in a normal year, um, but uh, we, we get a good feel for what direction some of these films are headed based upon whether or not they received a Screen Actors Guild nomination. So that's it for news for this week. Um, tune in next week to get those nominations for both the Screen Actors Guild and the Golden Globes. And we are going to continue pushing forward here in the midst of another award season. talk about some upcoming events. So this is episode two, and I have the next few episodes already planned out for us. Um, some of these are repeats from what we talked about last week, um, but it's good to have those reminders. So next week, uh, I will be doing a Best of Sundance 2021 uh, this week. We started the 2021 Sundance Festival, and I am attending as a remote uh, guest. And so I am going to preview what I believe are the best films that are yet to come out for the main pu major public um, the rest of the year that were premiered at the Sundance Festival. So that will be on February 5th. The following week... I will be doing a review of Judas and the Black Messiah. So that was on February 12th. The following week after that, uh, I had to make a little bit of a change. Originally, I had Minari on there, but uh, Minari will not be coming to video on demand until uh, a couple weeks later. Uh, the 12th is, I believe, the day that it is going to be coming out in theaters, but we got to wait a little bit longer before uh, we get it on video on demand. So I have replaced Minari during the episode 5, February 19th episode, with the animated film Wolf Walkers. So we'll be reviewing that film on that day. The next week, on February 26th, I will be reviewing Nomadland, and then on March 5th is our uh, Real Marathon spoiler show, where we will be doing a uh, spoiler of the uh, sort of mini-series, or uh, series of films, Small Acts, which uh, you can still watch on Amazon Prime if you want to watch all five of those films before that episode so you have an idea of what we're talking about and that I don't spoil it for you. So that's going to be on uh, March 5th. And then on March 12th, that is where I'm adding Minari, which will have come out by that point in time. And so we will be able to review it at that time. And that is all I have for events for this week. Uh, tune in next, next week to see if there will be some more added. our main film for this week's episode, 
in that film is Collective. Collective is a documentary directed by Alexander Nano, and it follows uh, some journalists that are investigating um, a fire that happened in 2015 in Romania. At this fire, it, it took place at a club called Collective, and it left uh, 27 people dead and 180 that were injured. But the real meat of this film takes place after the event that took place at the, cl the Collective Club, when multiple patients who are being treated for their burns contracted a bacteria and died. So the film, it follows these journalists as they start to uncover um, many things that happened that led to these events. And they are trying to uncover the corruption that is at play in not only the healthcare system, but also within Romania's government. So, this film, the thing about documentaries in general is that they vary. They, they cover many, many different subjects. And so to compare one to another often um, is very difficult to do because they are told in different ways. They have different subject matters. And it makes it hard to compare um, one documentary to another. Doesn't mean that people like myself, uh, that we don't try to compare uh, documentaries. And I even try to compare documentaries to uh, feature films as well. But uh, this film has been gaining some uh, recognition on the award circuit. And it very, very might what might uh, end up with um, at least an Oscar nomination. The film is being submitted to the Academy as Romania's uh, international film. So it could potentially end up getting nominated in the international film category as well. But we're going to focus more on the documentary aspect of this. So uh, in viewing this film, there are a few things that I, I found to be uh, pretty significant. In terms of a documentary, uh, this is what I would consider to be a model format, mainly because the structure is really easy to follow. Um, I had no problem understanding from the very beginning what was happening, despite being in a language other than my, my own language of English. The entire film is subtitled. But the way that it is set up makes it very easy to follow. Uh, I have seen many documentaries where they jump back and forth, um, where there's too many different individuals, so it's hard to kind of understand what is going on. Uh, some films that have received a lot of praise in the last year that I felt like were difficult to follow uh, were, number one, um, this movie called Time, which is actually receiving a lot of awards buzz. Um, and it just, it, it's hard to follow because it goes back and forth through time. Um, and, and I find that to be, uh, you know, somewhat unfortunate because it, you lose the message that that you you are trying to accomplish um, when when you don't make a film that is easy for the uh, audience to really truly be able to follow. I also felt this way about ESPN's The Last Dance documentary series, which also received a ton of praise. But as it went back and forth through time. It makes it hard to follow. So one thing Collective does very, very well is uh, they, they keep you on a timeline that is easy to follow. 
and uh, they kind of show it from different angles. So we get a perspective of not only the journalists, but some of the survivors and uh, some of the victims' families. We also get uh, a viewpoint from the politicians that are involved. And so it feels like a very, very full documentary. They also do a nice job of using found footage. So uh, some different cameras that are capturing from the actual night of the fire to um, news reports. But they also have the camera set up when a lot of these discussions are, be are taking place and they just observe. So they do a nice job of mixing both of those things to give us a full picture of what is going on. And when I am watching documentaries, that's what I want. I want a full picture. I don't just really want one side of the story. Many documentaries are that, and that, that's sometimes all you can get. But in the end, there's still a piece of the story that is missing. And what makes Collective so great is that you get a more well-rounded viewpoint. You get it from the journalist's point of view, who are actually trying to find the truth. You get it from the politicians as they're trying to um, kind of work through this. And it's not all of the politicians. It's the ones that are actually trying to come to a solution of what happened here and how they can fix it. Um, and then just to get the viewpoint of those who are most negatively impacted and want answers uh, for why this happened. Now, when I watch documentaries, I am, I am looking for something that has an important theme, has something that makes it worth making the film. I've seen plenty of documentaries where it gets over and I wonder, yeah, although I, I think, you know, that was a pretty good film. It was well made. Um, there's some interesting stuff. But the question then is asked, why was this film made? And in the case of Collective, there is no question as to why this film is made. And as a, an American there are a lot of themes that, that ring true here. And this is a political film, so it, it's going to delve into very many political issues. But I think there are multiple themes that I want to talk about here that uh, really, really ring out and uh, make you think about not only what's happening in this film, but how this applies universally, not just in Romania, not just in the United States of America, but across the entire world, all right? The one first thing that I want to talk about here is journalism and the importance of journalism. This theme couldn't be more important in the, in the film. And we see this uh, in a lot of either documentaries or um, feature films, uh, movies like Spotlight uh, that really, really grab the, the uh, topic of the importance of investigative journalism. Um, what is it? Uh, all the President's Men, another film that uh, is all about investigative journalism. Even though this is a documentary, even though these are real journalists, it's just as enthralling and pulls you in in the movie collective. Uh, without a doubt, this film is trying to say that without journalism, frankly, civilization probably would be lost because they hold people accountable maybe more so than ever in the social media uh, universe that we are in, uh, journalism becomes that much more important. 
and making sure we are getting to the truth. Uh, another uh, theme that we see in this film is corruption and how specifically corruption in politics and how this can override many, 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 many different things. And because we often have so much trust in governments, we sometimes are completely blind to the corruption that is taking place. But we see that uh, in many examples across time, corruption has allowed for things to happen that belittles humanity. And that is at the center of this film. We see humanity being belittled because of this uh, hunger for power and money. And how many of these things are happening without the average person knowing. They aren't looking into it. They blindly trust that their government is doing what is best for them. This also brings to mind the idea that these things are happening around the world, and as an American, we often do not hear about them. I'm not sure that I, I don't remember when this happened. Um, there's part of me that kind of does, but I don't didn't know all of these details, and I surely was not following this story. And that says something about how we can be stuck in our little pockets of the world and not truly know what is going on in other places. And it shows you how disconnected, specifically here in the United States, we are to the rest of the world. And how that can be, maybe be problematic. Uh, and I know that the film wasn't necessarily trying to say that, but as a, as a film that is making it here in the United States... Uh, despite not being a, an American film, it certainly is something that must be uh, we must take note of, that this is a major event. If this sort of thing happened in the United States, uh, it would be, in most years, the biggest story of the year. Maybe not 2020, because we got all sorts of other problems. But you definitely can see parallels. And I'm not picking on the United States. Uh, the United States has its own problems with many of these themes, but other countries have these exact same these problems. None of us are immune to these issues happening in our countries. And so what I think Collective does very, very well is try to highlight the idea that humanity is something that each of us should be able to connect with. And many times that is overridden by wealthy special interests and those who are in power. And this happens because of our final theme that I was maybe a, li was a little bit more hidden because they didn't dwell on it a ton. But is definitely there, which is um, being complicit through silence. What happened as a result of the events that took place at the Collective Club in this film was not um, because of something that, that just occurred in that moment. No, this was years and years and years and years of corruption leading up to this point. And there were many, many, many people who were quiet and didn't say anything. And this is where it landed. And so we get this mess. And this film is looking at this mess. And as we go through the film with the journalists, as we go through the film with the uh, health minister um, and the survivors and the victims' families, we see as they begin untangling this mess. And it's a profound story. It just gets more and more layered. And it's intriguing because the P 
people who are involved uh, are good at the core and want to find a solution. On top of the fact that we are able to make connections to the world around us. Once again, this is a universal story. And what makes this specifically a fantastic documentary is the fact that we can take the ideals, the themes, and be able to apply them while still recognizing that, this, that these events happened and uh, being somewhat blown away that somebody allowed them to happen. So I would highly recommend Renting Collective. Um, you can find it on any of your platforms that you can stream or rent from. Um, I watched this one on YouTube for $6.99. Uh, you can do the same or whatever platform you want to use. Uh, but Collective received four out of five stars from me. Um, it wasn't my favorite documentary of the year, but it was darn close. Um, and when we come back from this break, we will count down the other four movies that made my top five. Spoiler alert, Collective did make my top five documentary of 2020. So when we return, we'll count down the list. It is time for our top five documentaries of 2020. So let's just get started. Um, at number five, I have the film All In, The Fight for Democracy, directed by Lisa Cortez and Liz Garbus. And this is a film that it really revolves around uh, Stacey Abrams, um, who is or has really dedicated her life to fighting against voter suppression. And it, it takes a look at the history of voter suppression here in the United States. Uh, this is a really good companion piece for Collective, which at its core really talks about the role of democracy and what happens uh, when democracy is not um, fully embraced or if it's taken for granted. And so uh, both of these films really show the importance of representation and what happens if our government does not represent the people that it serves. And so uh, even though much of the content in All In, The Fight for Democracy, is something that I have been aware of as uh, a citizen that remains engaged, uh, it doesn't mean that uh, I knew everything about it. And there are some things that are highlighted in this film that really, really stick out. And um, Stacey Abrams shows her star power here. Uh, it's interesting watching this film, which was made before the November elections, and uh, once again, also, uh, it was made before what we saw here in January with the runoffs in Georgia. But it really leads up to those events that took place. And um, it, it probably has a greater impact because of what we know has happened since this film was made. Um, but I think that this is a film that regardless of what side of the political aisle you sit on uh, is important to at least show uh, some of the problems that we are facing as a nation when it comes to our elections and how we, we have the ability to um, demand more and, and make voting a, a more accessible to more people. Um, and really, that is what this film is about. Um, so I have put that at number five. I gave it... Uh, Three and a half 
stars out of five, um, which is pretty good for a documentary. Um, it's well made, it's well organized, uh, and you can see that on Amazon Prime. I feel like we have a little bit of theme going on this show that a lot of the, the films that you have available to you, uh, you can see on Amazon Prime. All right, at number four, I have the film Dick Johnson is Dead, uh, and this is made by a filmmaker named uh, Kirsten Johnson. If you have seen the similarity between names here, yes, uh, this is a film made about Kirsten Johnson's father, Dick Johnson, and the idea behind this film is to examine uh, the maybe fear or uh, the difficulty accepting one's end of life. Not just for the person who is potentially uh, going to die sooner rather than later, but also the loved ones that uh, have to accept mortality and that ultimately each and every one of us is going to die. Uh, this film has been getting a ton of praise an absolute ton of praise from critics. Uh, I think that there is a chance this ends up winning um, Best Documentary. Not saying it will, but it should be in play. Um, documentary is always kind of funky. We don't always get... Um, we don't always get the best documentary that get, even gets nominated uh, come Oscar time. And... This film seems like it should, but it may not. Um, I maybe didn't love this as much as some of the critics have loved it. Uh, I still gave it four out of five stars. It's very, very well executed. It's a unique concept. And I think that it, it tackles a, a um, issue that each and every one of us deals with. And so it's relatable. And it tackles it in a way that is somewhat humorous. Uh, we see that they have uh, created different uh, ways to show Dick Johnson dying. Um, so that they can maybe tackle a serious issue in a funny sort of way. Um, and so that aspect of the film is entertaining. Uh, but... There, for some reason, there's something missing, and I can't quite put my finger on what that is with this film. Um, I think for those who have family members that maybe have or uh, are currently suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's, that this could be a very challenging film to sit through. But maybe there is some comfort in knowing that you aren't alone in dealing with with this end-of-life uh, problem that many folks end up having to deal with. Um, it is an emotional film. It is uh, something that we probably should be thinking about um, more often than we are. Uh, how we we grapple with death and um, the inevitable that is to come with those that we love and with ourselves. Um, so if you want to watch this film, it is on Netflix, um, and and I would recommend it. Um, once again, not my favorite documentary of the year, but uh, it is worthwhile, um, and you can watch that on Netflix. My number three film is a film called Boys State, and that is directed by Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. Um, I also gave Boys State four out of five stars. This can be seen on Apple TV+. Um, and this is a film that documents uh, Boys State, which is an annual event where 17-year-old boys from Texas all get together to build a representative government from the very foundation up. And so what they're trying to do is take, and this happens across the entire country, um, 
every state, not I shouldn't say every state, I don't know that for sure, but many states, they, they put this on for um, their local high school students where they come to the uh, state capitol during the summer and they have to operate a government that is similar to the one uh, run within the state. And so this documentary, it, it shows different viewpoints of certain boys that are attending this annual event as they uh, work toward uh, campaigning to be governor of their boys' state and also create legislation that represents their views. Um, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, and it's probably the political junkie in me that liked it maybe more than others, but uh, I thought that it is well done. Um, it highlights some different viewpoints, um, and it shows that uh, teenagers, they, they still are even though they, they still have certain issues that may be um, a little outside the realm of reality, uh, they also are very much engaged in what happens in our, our political circles. And I think that seeing this play out is both encouraging and maybe a little disappointing to see the direction that some of these kids are headed. Um, and at first I thought some of the stuff that they were doing is far-fetched, but you start to look at our, our governments and recognize that, uh, this, this is just a mirror of what we see at the highest levels of our government. Um, and so we see that our youth are very much influenced by, uh, what is going on around them in these political circles. Um. I would highly recommend this film for anyone who has an interest in our youth, uh, anyone who has an interest in politics and seeing how some of these things play out. Once again, you can get this film on Apple TV Plus um, if you are interested in, in watching this film. And number two, I won't go back into detail on it, I have Collective. Um, it is just an all-around great documentary film, and I would highly recommend it to anyone who uh, wants to learn about an event that happened that here in the United States we just didn't hear that much about. Uh, once again, gave that four stars. You can rent this film anywhere where you rent uh, other movies. Um, it is $6.99. I rented it from... Uh, YouTube, you can rent it from Amazon, Apple, wherever you rent your movies. And then at number one, at number one, I have a film called The Painter and the Thief. The Painter and the Thief is not your typical documentary. In fact, it plays a little bit more like a dramatic film than it actually does a documentary. And at times, it is hard to believe that this is a real story. I gave this film four and a half out of five stars. At this juncture, it is one of only three films this year that I have done that for. The other two we talked about last week, Promising Young Woman and Sound of Metal. If I were to uh, pick ten films to nominate for Best Picture, this would be one of them. The film, at its core, is about compassion. So we, we watch as this painter who, uh, she is very well respected. She's not overly famous, but we watch as she has made art her life. And the struggles with being an artist who is trying to make a living. And we see as her paintings are stolen in the broad daylight uh, by two thieves who just walk into this gallery and take a couple of her paintings. Um, and then after that point, we watch as 
this artist shows compassion for one of the thieves who took her painting. At a time where people are so at odds with their beliefs and it seems as though certain acts are unforgivable, this film comes along at a time where maybe more than ever we need to show compassion to one another regardless of what somebody has done. There needs to be some sort of compassion. And this film shows that that is possible. And in fact, we often don't know what other people are dealing with, why they do the things that they do. And I don't know if it's the empathy in me that really made me connect with this film, but at its core, this film is about empathy. As I said, compassion. Um, and it, it is a really remarkable story. And the filmmaker, I don't know if I <laughs> said the filmmaker's name, Benjamin Ree, um, he captures something that would seem lucky to be able to capture. There may be some questions about uh, how much of a role he played in how this film plays out, but we still are getting a very uh, raw look into these individuals' lives. Um, I don't want to say a whole bunch about uh, what happens because I want you to be able to experience this, but it is worth the journey. Um, there's a lot of this film that is not in English, so you do need to be prepared to uh, read some subtitles. But uh, you can catch this film on Hulu. If you have, have a subscription to Hulu, um, I would highly recommend watching this film. Um, and if you take the time to do so, I don't think you will be disappointed. So those are my top five uh, documentary films of 2020. Uh, I saw quite a few others um, that that just barely didn't make it into that top that top five. Um, but as I said at the beginning of the show, I think that the industry of documentary filmmaking uh, probably doesn't get the attention that it deserves, and I hope that uh, my podcast can start to shed light on some really great uh, pieces of art that folks just aren't watching because they, they have not immersed themselves into the world of documentary filmmaking. And these films are just as remarkable as any dramatic or uh, feature type film that, that is released on a year-to-year -year basis. Um, so please, 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 if you haven't seen these films, go out and watch them. Um, it may take some uh, adjusting to really get into the documentary film genre, but I promise that if you invest in it, you are going to find some hidden gems that you never knew existed and some, some films that, at the end of the year, you will find have a greater impact on you as a movie watcher than some of the fictional films that are written each and every year. So go out, watch them. Can't wait to hear back from you on what you loved and what maybe you didn't love. Um, and even include some documentaries that you saw this year that... Uh, did not make my list or that we didn't talk about today. It's trivia time. We are back for another round of trivia. And before we get to today's questions, I want to read back our questions from last week and give you some answers. 
So the first question we had last week was, the title of Promising Young Woman is a reference to what Stanford student who was convicted of sexual assault in 2016 and was referred to as a promising young man by his sympathizers? That would be Barack Turner. And although I do not want to uh, make him into some star by talking about him, it is important because that is a becoming a very famous case in how uh, we just don't hold uh, certain males accountable for their actions um, compared to even things such as drugs in this country. Um, so uh, th this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek reference to um, that man who really didn't get a very large sentence for what he did. Uh, the second question I have here was, what film discussed today broke the record for largest purchase at, ever at the Sundance Film Festival for a total of $17,500,000.69, breaking the previous record by $0.69? Cents? That would be Palm Springs. So Palm Springs broke the record for largest purchase at the Sundance Film Festival. We're going to see if maybe that record gets broken this year. Um, by one of our 2021 uh, films that will be showing at the film festival. The Vast of Nights title was taken from what play by the famous William Shakespeare? That would be The Tempest. Um, Vast of Night is a reference from The Tempest. Uh, Riz Ahmed, the star of Sound of Metal, hoped the film would encourage more people to learn what language? That would be American Sign Language. Um, ASL. This is, I, I, in my studies, I learned a statistic about um, what uh, languages are being taught most at universities around the country, and American Sign Language is up there. Um, I am not particularly great at uh, learning foreign languages. I just don't have the mind for it, but more recently I've been thinking it might be uh, interesting to attempt to learn a little bit more American Sign Language. Uh, that might be something that, you know, I, I do a better job at being able to uh, grasp and pick up on. So I may try it. Um, but uh, yeah, the film definitely, I can see how it would be a, a good uh, promotion for learning of sign language. And then our last question from last week was, one Night in Miami was released on Amazon Prime on January 15th, 2021, the same day as director Regina King's birthday. How old did King turn this year? She turned 50. Cannot believe that Regina King is 50, but she's had a pretty long career and been in, in an incredible amount of films. So it makes sense, but she is really coming into her own here in her 50th year. So those were our answers from last week. Let's get to some questions for our documentary week. So question number one. Former President Barack Obama released a list of what he considered to be the best films of 2020. He included four documentaries that were mentioned at least once on today's podcast. Name the four movies. Former President Barack Obama released a list of what he considered to be the best films of 2020. He included four documentaries that were mentioned at least once on today's podcast. Name the four movies. Question number two. What film became the highest grossing documentary ever following the 2009 death of its main subject? What film became the highest grossing documentary ever following the 2009 death of its main subject? Question number three. What was the name of the band who was performing at the Collective Nightclub on the night of the fire? What was the name of the band who was performing at the Collective Nightclub on the night of the fire? Question number four. Stacey Abrams, the subject of All In, the Fight for Democracy, held public office from 2007 to 2017. 
What office did she hold? Stacey Abrams, the subject of All In, the Fight for Democracy, held public office from 2007 to 2017. What office did she hold? And then question number five. Documentaries are often forgotten. Can you name the documentary that won the award for Best Documentary at the 2020 Oscars? Documentaries are often forgotten. Can you name the documentary that won the award for best documentary at the 2020 Oscars? So that's it for this week's trivia. That's it for this week's show. Tune in next week for our 2021 Sundance uh, reviews and to get the answers to these trivia questions. Once again, thanks to all of you for listening, and I want to thank Mike Carraher again for this wonderful music that you will be listening to as we leave our show. Have a great week, and we will see you again next week.